There's two words for the crown of life in the Greek. One is diadem, which is a crown of royalty, victorious royalty after a battle. And then there's the one Stephanus, which is the crown of victory after a victorious battle and uh, obtained through conflict, a military achievement. And that's the word that's used here, Stephanus, the crown of life, the crown of victory, the emblem of victory. He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The first ending limited to the crown of life. Blessed is he that endureth temptation, James said, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Then there's the general ending also. Revelation 21, 8, But the fearful and unbelieving... The abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters shall have their lake, their, their uh, judgment in the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, the scripture says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I read an illustration concerning the plains of South Africa some time ago, they said that the, uh, when the hot, sultry season would come, the animals would become enfeebled because the, the insects would attack them and torment them. And so the, cat, the cattle in South America in the plains would make a dash for the hills and try to get up where it was cooler and higher and regain their vitality and health that they had uh, lost because of the application of the bites by the insects. And... Uh, these goads that God allows to come into our life are for our good. When tribulation comes, it's for our good. Uh, it drives us from the plains of prosperity and indolence to get higher and closer to the Lord and to lean on Him more than ever before. God's purpose in sending these things to us is not to hurt us, but to cause us to grow in grace. And He said His grace is sufficient. And you have to trust Him for your need. If we're going to have the crown of life, he said that we're going to have to be willing at any time. You know, again, somebody, somebody says, you say I'm going to have to have somebody kill me to get it? You know, I know that in the Old Testament when God talked concerning the uh, David the psalmist, he said, because you desired in your heart, you desired to build the temple, I'm going to reward you for building the temple. I'm going to credit you. I'm going to give you the reward for building the temple because you wanted to do it in your heart. And I think God, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, and I believe that the crown of life is going to be available to any of those who have made the quality decision, Lord, I really do want to honor you, whether by life or by death. It doesn't make any difference. To where God looks at your heart and says, if the time had come that they had to give their life for, for the gospel, they would have been willing to do it. My brethren, James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice these adjectives here. Notice all these adjectives. Our light affliction. Now the Apostle Paul had been beaten several times, imprisoned. He had been shipwrecked. He goes all down through the list of all the horrible things that happened to him. He says these are just light afflictions. When you compare them to what? To the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And Paul's conclusion was, 2 Corinthians 12.10, look at it. 
2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Why? We don't depend on ourselves. We have to depend upon the Lord. I like what one preacher said one time years ago. He said, whenever I find myself in an impossible situation, I really get excited because then I can expect a miracle for God must do something. Whether by life or by death, he's got to do a miracle. Another businessman I know, he said, think of the most impossible thing possible to believe God for and believe him because only then can he receive, can God receive all the glory. When I'm weak, then am I strong. That's the trying of your faith. When things look absolutely impossible, that's the time to say, God, you're more than able. If we're going to get the crown of life, we've got to be willing to say, Lord, anywhere, at any time, I'll be anything or nothing, whatever you want. Trying of your faith, I call them spiritual isometrics. We're flexing our spiritual muscles to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. The Living Bible says, has a chance to grow. And by the way, it may not come through death, it may just come through chastening. The trials that you and I go through may just come through chastening as a believer of Christ too. Hebrews 12.11 Hebrews 12.11 says, Now no chastening or correction or discipline for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It's not joyful, it's not joyous, but it is beneficial for us. If we'll endure chastening afterwards, after we've been chastened, we tend to live better. It's interesting to me, you know, David sinned against the Lord and he didn't confess until the prophet came and said, Thou art the man. And David said in Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. When afflictions come, we learn how to draw closer to the Lord and be obedient to him. And he wants us to do that. God wants strong fiber in us. Whenever you build a boat for the ocean, you don't find a tree that's never been hit by the wind. You try to find one that's been bent back and forth and twisted and turned everything you possibly can so that the fiber, the, the grain in that wood is as strong as it can possibly be so it's ready to be withstand the storm. And tribulation causes you and me to have strength of character that will carry us through the storm. Don't pray that God will give you a peaceful life all the time. Ask Him to give you the grace and the strength to go through the tribulation to be what He wants you to be. Becoming partakers of His holiness. The crown of life is for those who endure trials, that they can work out God's purpose in their life. Those who, as Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 6, 9, do not become weary in well-doing. In due season you shall reap if you faint not. In due season you shall reap if you faint not. Now Judas fainted. Another came along, and I believe they, the other man got his crown. And I want to encourage you tonight, when we're talking about the rewards the Lord has for us, don't let somebody else get your crown. I mean, what price is worth losing that reward before the Lord? When the trials and tribulations come, we have to thank the Lord for them. In the midst of them. 
Because His grace is sufficient for us if we'll allow it to happen. If we're not willing to, then we'll not get the crown of life. He said to the church of Smyrna, you're not going to get out of this. Actually, you're rich right where you are. Rich. Lord, we don't have a thing. Oh, yes, you do. You have quality of character. You've learned to trust it. You've learned what the true meaning of life is. The true meaning of life has nothing to do with material things. It has to do with the eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? We've been talking about when the Christian's books are audited and the rewards that are going to come to believers. And you'll remember last week we talked about the crown of life. And that's for those who would be willing to endure temptations and trials and tests and persecution and chastening. Galatians 6, 9 says, we'll reap if we faint not. So there's the option that we can faint. We can forfeit that which we received. But James 1, 3 says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Gives you a chance to grow. And so when the storms come, it's not because God's forsaken us. But because he's promised, we can, have, we can have confidence that he's promised he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and he'll walk through it with us. So he said, as good sons, we must endure chastening. Now I notice, I, I have never in all my years of ministry seen that scripture verse up on a refrigerator door, that we should endure chastening. I've seen many other promises, but not that one. But it is a promise. If we endure chastening as sons, we'll be rewarded in the days ahead. And uh, so that's the test of being a son, that's the test of being a servant, whether we're willing to say, Lord, whether we get cast into the furnace or not, it doesn't make any difference. If we do, and God delivers us from it, great. If he does deliver us from it, great. It doesn't make any difference. We'll live or die in faith. And when we operate that way, we can know that in the days ahead, there'll be a crown of life awaiting us. Now, we want to go right on to the next crown, and that's the crown of glory that the Scripture talks about. And remember I said last week that there's two different words for crown in the Greek. <clears throat> the one is the diadema, which is the imperial crown, and may I, that's not inherited. Uh, I mean, excuse me, that is inherited. It's not earned. The diadema is, in, is inherited. It's like a, a king's son becoming the king, and it's passed on down from generation to generation. The diadema is one that is, is inherited, and no child of God, by the way, now let's write this down if you want to write something down. No child of God will ever inherit a crown. No child of God will ever inherit a crown. You earn a crown. You understand what I'm saying? Just because you got saved does not mean you're going to have a crown. The crown, the word for crown that's used here concerning the believer is the word Stephanos, and it means an earned reward or a recompense. How many of you know if you go and work 40 or 50 hours a week, work very hard at the job, when the, when the boss pays you, you did not inherit that paycheck, you earned that paycheck. You earned that salary. Well, that's the same thing, the difference between a diadema and the Stephanos. Uh, it, it was familiar to the Greek, and when the Greek heard that word Stephanos, it indicated to the Greek people in that day that the Christian walk was a life of contest. It was a struggle. It was a race. Paul talked about that crown that they received, and they knew that that was the crown that was received in the Olympics back in that day, what they called the Olympics back then. Today we call them the, uh, the uh, World Olympics. And uh, it, it, it represented exertion and competition and striving, and only a few were going to win. 
The Greeks understood exactly what Paul was talking about here when he was, or uh, James, I mean, he was talking about when he talked about a crown. You see, the Greeks contestants back in that day would train for 10 months solid, wouldn't let up continuously. They'd forfeit foods, they'd forfeit the time with, of affection with their wives or their sweethearts, they, uh, whatever. they wouldn't have any sweets whatsoever, they had to eat very restricted diets, they had to know exactly what was best for them. And of course, every year that we live today when more and more science, uh, scientific studies are being done, we're finding that many of the diets are changing what they used to be today to today when somebody is training for exercise. But they would pay any price whatsoever. They would exercise in every kind of weather. It didn't make any difference to them. How many of you have seen guys that are going out for football or basketball out when it's raining like crazy and they're running down the street, water running off their head, the head and everything? You know, they wouldn't do that if they, I mean, if you paid them to do that, they wouldn't want to do it. But boy, they're doing it because there's a possibility they're going to earn something. Something's going to come to them at the end. And that's what Paul's talking about and, and James are talking about here. Uh, the Stephanos back then, for all the work that they did, was just a little old crown of oak leaves. And it's true today, too. Paul says, you must realize the reason we must strive to enter in is because, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The bema. The word there is bema. And that's the judge's stand from which the umpire would stand to watch the races or watch the competition. And when they got all through, whoever was the winner, he would call the winner up onto the bema to receive his reward. It was not inherited. Just because his father, an athlete's father, won the, the crown did not mean that the son, when he came in, automatically got a crown. The son had to win everything himself when he came up on the bema. He would come up breathing heavily, I'm sure, trembling, perspiring. Of course, nowadays they give them a big break and let them go in and clean up and put on new garb and everything else before they come out and stand on the bema. Back in those days, the minute they would win, they were able to come right up on the bema and receive their reward, oak leaf, crown on their brow. May I tell you that the, the bema is not going to be available to lily baptists? Remember what a lily baptist is? They toil not, neither do they spin. Jesus spoke of the lilies. He said, they toil not, neither do they spin. Someone said there are a lot of lily baptists today. They sit back and fold their hands and wait till Jesus comes. They're not going to be a bema, not going to be a reward for lily baptists. Only for those who do what God tells them to do. Salvation, being saved, is not enough to get a crown. It's wonderful to be saved, but it's not enough to get a crown. There's no free gifts, no reward for receiving the gift of salvation from God. When we talk about crowns, we're talking about an effort put out on our part. It's a place to receive a reward for winning the race, for overcoming the obstacles in Jesus' name. That verse in 2 Corinthians 5.10 goes on and says, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The reason I'm trying to teach you these things is that I, I'm trusting the Spirit of God will put a desire in your heart that you'll receive a Stephanus, a crown. You know, if, you, if no one sets anything out in front of you, then you have no goal. And if you have no goal, usually if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it with perfect accuracy. But once God has placed a goal in your heart, I don't care about anyone else, but I am going to run the race, keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm going to win if no one else does. God, I want everything you've got for me. I don't want to get there empty-handed. I don't want to get there ashamed when I stand before the Lord. Look at First Peter, the fifth chapter. 
First Peter, the fifth chapter. First <clears throat> Peter five one. Peter says the elders or the pastors or the shepherds, same word, the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God. Now, isn't it interesting that it's Peter that tells us feed the flock of God because when Jesus corrected him or uh, restored him, what did he say three times to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Three different times. So Peter hasn't... One thing about Peter, once he learned a lesson, he learned it well. So he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And it's interesting that study of the word oversight speaks of authority. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of what? Glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit unto the, yourselves unto the elder. Yea, let all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but give grace, giveth grace to the humble. Let me read the first four verses to you out of the Living Bible. And now a word to you elders of the church. I too am an elder. Remember in Revelation when... Jesus spoke concerning the pastors of the church. He spoke to them, spoke of them as what? Stars in his hands. That's right. Now the elders are those who God has called into a position of ministry. He says, I too am an elder with mine own eyes. I saw Christ dying on the cross, and I too will share his glory and his honor when he returns. Fellow elders, this is my plea to you. Beat the flock. I'm sorry. Excite the flock. No. Flog the flock. No, that's what it said. It says, feed the flock of God. Care for it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the Lord. Don't be tyrants, but lead them by your good example. And when the head shepherd comes, your reward will be, never end, be a never-ending share in his glory and honor. The crown of glory is not going to be for everyone. It's for those who minister faithfully those whom God has called to minister faithfully. If God has called you into an office ministry and you faithfully minister in that office, then you'll receive in that day a crown of glory. It's interesting how God has five different crowns and one of them specifically for those he has called out and chosen for office ministry. And uh, I think it'd be interesting for us to study what constitutes a faithful minister when we talk about a crown of glory. Who's going to receive a crown of glory? Is it the one who has a, uh, the one who has a little tiny church out in the end of Dead End Row in Skunk Hollow is not going to get one because he wasn't successful? Or is it going to be the ones that are going to be given to the ones that have these great big churches? Is it going to be the televangelists they're going to have? It? Who's going to have it? You know, the Scripture tells us very clearly how we can discern who's going to have a crown of glory in that day. And the first thing we have to know is, I want to make it very clear to you because some people think that they're a special, there's something special and unique about them, uh, every one of them are uh, constituted just a man. Would you look at John, the first chapter? You know, sometimes we forget that even though God calls someone into the ministry, that does not make them supernatural. They're still a man. John, the first chapter, verses 6 through 8. The first thing I want you to see, there was a what? 
a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. See the purpose of God calling a man? That people might believe through that man's ministry and through that man's word. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, John the Baptist, sent of God, called to God, but still a man. It was the same John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Same John the Baptist who later on as a man said, Go and ask him if he's really the one or not. When he was in prison, remember? I mean, he really had some second doubts and questions. Are you really the one? Jesus said, go back and tell them that the blind see and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and all the things that were said. Just go back and reassure him. I mean, John was a man of God, called of God, but he was just a man. I think of Abraham, the father of faith. And yet it was Abraham whom God says, go into this land that I shall show you and don't take any of your relatives with you. And Lot went with him. He got into trouble. He was a man. He still made mistakes. Let me tell you something. If you're ever trying to find a pastor or a leader that doesn't make a mistake, you're in trouble. They're all men. They get up every morning and put their pants on just like any other person. They have to scratch their head just like any other person. There's times when God gives them discernment and there's other times when they, don't, they can't see anything and they don't understand it. But if God doesn't show them, they can't. How about the prophet when the widow uh, came that who... who God had told this widow she'd have a son. And she came to the prophet, and uh, he said, What's the matter? And she said, All is well. And the prophet said, The Lord wouldn't let me see what was wrong. Wouldn't tell me what was wrong ahead of time. Before that, I mean, this prophet could tell you anything that was happening everywhere. But in that case, God... Let me tell you something. If you're in the ministry and God closes your eyes on something, it's either none of your business, or he wants you to realize that he's still in charge and he's still in command. But a man of God doesn't have all nine gifts all the time. He's still a man, and he's still going to make mistakes. And you have to keep your eyes, not look at them like they're perfect. They may be examples, but watch it. They can slip and fall as they do. Turn your eyes off of them and put them back on the Lord. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me, follow me, follow me. But there may come a time when something could happen to me. In that case, you follow Christ. Only follow me as I follow Christ. But he was a man. I think of Samson. I mean, mightily used, picked up the gates of the city, uh, killed a... a Scores of, of uh, Philistines with the jaw of an ass, bo- uh, a jawbone of an ass, and, and yet he was a man. He met Delilah, and he fell. I think of Moses, the humblest of all men, used mightily of God, goes in and performs all the miracles in Egypt, and then God told him to speak to the rock. But he had had it with that crowd he was working with, bunch of bullheads, bunch of stubborn mules. He said, do we have to bring you this water? And God says, okay, for that you do not go into the promised land. He was a man. I want to tell you something. When, when men fail, there is a price. Somewhere along the line, they're going to pay a price. But you have to realize when God calls men, that does not make them supernatural. They are just men. How about Elijah? Up there on the mountaintop, I mean, 300 prophets of Baal. And he outshined them all, and God answered his prayer, and the fire fell down and consumed the altar and all the water and everything else. And then all the prophets of Baal were slain, and then what happens? The next day he's running and crying, and oh, man, Delilah's after me. You know, it's easier to face 300 false prophets than it is one woman. That's, what, that's the lesson you've got to learn from this. You've got to be careful. 
David, a man after God's own heart, and it said later on that David was upright in everything except that one time he fell. I don't know why. God wanted us to see that he was a man. There's going to become a crown of glory, to, but the first thing is you have to realize that none of us are superhuman. We're weak. He's a man. Well, first of all, he is a man, but he's a called man. That's the difference. You know, that's why I say to young people, you don't, you don't obey your father and mother because they're perfect. You obey your father and mother because they're your father and your mother. Wives, you don't obey your husband because they're perfect. The only one that's perfect is the one that's already died. It's the second one. You keep telling how perfect the first one was. You think? You know, it's something I just have to think about. I've never experienced that. That hasn't happened in my life. But you have to realize that when someone is called of God, it's the office that you respect. It's not the person. I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of men out there in, in that, quote, office that you have to be very careful to make sure they've been called of God. A lot of people get an itch to, to speak, an itch to have power and authority, and they'll take and jump into the situation, even though they're not qualified concerning the Scriptures, from the Scriptures, not qualified to be in place of leadership. Now, that's not his fault. That's your fault if you follow them. Hello, you with me? Are you awake this morning? Okay. See, some people want to blame the preacher. No, 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 no. The Word of God very clearly defines what are the requirements of a pastor, and if they're not following that, you should not follow them. In fact, God judges them, and God judges those that follow them. Not only that, but the spirits that are in that person will sooner or later get down into your children, and one or two generations away, you'll see the fruit of following after a false prophet, one who's not what God wants him to be. He's a called man. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Would you turn to it with me? Ephesians chapter 4. Where Paul's talking about our walk in the Lord. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now what does that mean? Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. There should be a difference in our walk when we come to Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the average believer here let alone those in leadership. He should, we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. If we're Christians, whatever vocation we're in, we should walk as Christians in that vocation that's worthy of being called believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 1. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. There is a definite call that should be on one who's in the ministry. And I can go back and tell you that there came a time in my life, if there's anyone who did not want to become a minister, if there's anyone who did not want to study, if there's anyone who hated to read, hated to study, and did not then despise school, it was your pastor. When I got out of high school, I used to write on my books in high school, in case of fire, throw these in. In case of flood, throw these in. You see, I, I, I just didn't like high school. I, I just got through high school, barely got through high school. I wasn't a Christian all the way through until my senior year. And when I got out of there, you know, I said, in case of flood, stand on these. They're dry enough. That's what I wrote in my book. 
And when I got out of Bible college and God called me and put it on my heart that I was to go to Bible school, I made every excuse in the world. Why not? I said, God, you're going to have to prove this to me. You couldn't possibly be calling me that. You know, God has done this all my life. If anyone should never have written a book, it's me. I don't even like to write letters. You should see my phone bill sometimes. I hate to write letters. I'd rather call my sister and call my brothers and call her. How are you doing? And talk to them. Now, next time you send me a letter, I'll call you again. Okay? I hate to write. But, you know, God will take the most unlikely characters and somehow use them. And I've already told you that when I told God if he wanted me to Bible school, he's going to have to work it out. He literally, step by step, packed my book, my, my bags, and sent me to Bible college. And every time I tried to get out of it, would go back home, he would just make the things turn around. I always said, Lord, if this is where you want me to be, then I'll be there. But if you don't want me to be there, I'll be glad to go home. I've already been told I've got a job at home, and I've already told they'd let me go to college, and they'd pay for my college. I went to regular college. And every time, God would shut that door and put me right back where I was. When I got done, I, I had to say, God, put me here. And then when God called me into the ministry, I, did, I went to school thinking, I'll go to school, but God, I don't want to be a preacher. I, I want to go out and do sales or something like that. You know, I don't want to be a preacher. But it was in that room, in the dormitory, as I was praying one day, and God put his hand on me and called me into the ministry. And I struggled. I wept there. And I said, God, I'm not, I'm not willing to go at all in the ministry unless you'll promise me right now that you'll go before me and after me, above me, or below me, around me, in me, and through me. Because if I get out there, I know I'll blow it. I know I'll mess it up unless you take full charge. And that's when he gave me Joshua 1, 9 is my verse. Be not dismayed, neither be, thou, be, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That was the promise he gave me. Now, I want to tell you something. That was in 1955, I think, 54, 55, 40 years ago, and he's never failed me once in 40 years. And I look back to the very fact, God, why am I in Lake Mary? Because I put you there. How long do you want me to stay there until I tell you to leave? What do you want to do? Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Oh, there's easier things to do. But when you're called of God, you've got to do what God tells you to do. Understand that? 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which are labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now that term up there in verse 12, are over you, is proistomai, and it means be the head of, to rule, be the chief, or to be set over. By the way, I didn't write that. I didn't write that verse. And I don't like it. I wish you didn't say that. Because it's like Truman said when he was in the White House, the buck stops here. I'm responsible. And he said there, among you and are over you in the Lord to admonish you. And again, that word means to be the head of, to rule, to be the chief, to set over. First Timothy, the fifth chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
1 Timothy 5, verse 19 and 20, excuse me, 19 through 21, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, I want you, that means to at least two or three witnesses, at the very least. It wasn't too long ago, I was talking with someone and had witnesses there, and they said, why did you have so many witnesses there? The Bible only says two or three. I said, no, it says it's actually expressing a minimum. In the Old Testament, you could not bring a charge against anyone unless there were at least two witnesses. Now, when Jesus raised from the dead, there were over 500 witnesses to that, which really confirmed it completely. But when you have other witnesses, a lot of people don't like witnesses because when they have witnesses, then they have to, they're judged for what they say. They have to be held to what they've said. And there's many confirmations of what they've said. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others may also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. In this day and age, that has almost completely been set aside because there are some who feel, well, when someone publicly sins, you should bury it as deeply as you possibly can. Paul says if an elder publicly sins, they should be publicly exposed. Why? To ex just to humiliate them? No. But to warn others, let them know that we, they don't get away with that. You know, when people sinned in the Old Testament, God exposed them over and over again. There are some that said it's nobody else's business. There was one not too long ago who said, the Holy Ghost told me that my personal life is nobody's business. Whoa, I've got news for you. The Word of God says they're being, to be an example unto the believer in all manner of living. So what they do in their private life is somebody else's business. Now let me say that when I say that, they're still human. Does not mean they're never going to make a mistake. Does not mean they're going to come that they'll never come short. They do. He's a man, he's a called man, and he's a responsible man. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. Now these are those who are called. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let me read that to you from the Living Bible again. Paraphrase. Obey your spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say, for their work is to watch over your souls, and God will judge them, God will judge them on how well they do this. Give them reason to report joyfully about you to the Lord, and not with sorrow, for then you will suffer for it too. Now, when he talks about spiritual leaders here, he's not talking about civil authority or temporal authority. He's talking about within the church, the authority within the church. Now, let me tell you something. that You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about a Jezebel spirit, and there's a couple of things I didn't bring out. I said a Jezebel spirit is a spirit that wants to rule from behind the one who's supposed to be in authority. They are like the man is the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. But a Jezebel spirit will always stand behind someone and rule from behind. Uh, it's an interesting thing, though. They will tell the one in leadership what they should say and what they should do and how they should say it and how they should do it. And then when they go and do it, they come back and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. No, no, this, this. And the frustration on the part of the leadership becomes in confusion because they, no matter what they do, when there's a Jezebel spirit, you can never do it right. You can never say it right. 
And I've seen many times where those who have been under the influence of a Jezebel spirit will finally say, I give up. There's no way to please you. Just forget it. And then the Jezebel spirit really gets started. Another thing about a Jezebel spirit, they hate any authority that can check their control of the one who's in leadership. Let me say that again. <clears throat> they stand behind the one who is supposed to be in authority and direct them from behind. This way you do, and this is what you say, and this is the way you say it, and this is how you say it. And then if there's someone that can check that, if there's someone that's in higher authority over them, comes back and says, no, you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't say that, they immediately have real difficulty because now they're losing the control that they want to have in a typical Jezebel situation. Their next step is then to, to tend to belittle or discredit the authority that's above. You don't have to listen to them. There's someplace else that we can go. There's something else we can do. We won't listen to No, 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 no. Listen to me. This is what, this is what the Word says. Don't, no, don't, don't listen there. This is... And they get very upset when there's spiritual... That's why God has placed spiritual authority within the body. And Jezebel spirits don't like that. They want to be able to say... Do this, do that, do the other thing. And then when somebody else tries to correct it, they get very upset. And the only answer is belittle or discredit true spiritual authority. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. I'm not talking about military rule or political rule. I'm talking about spiritual authority, spiritual ruling. That does not mean lording it over people. It means being the servant of all people and trying to teach them biblical principles by precept and concept so they can walk. Follow me as I follow Christ. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly <clears throat> that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, spirits that will lead them astray, spirits that will have them do things that they ought not to be doing. First Timothy, I'm sorry. That's First Timothy, I'm sorry. Second Timothy. Well, that was pretty good too, wasn't it? <laughs> Second Timothy, I'm sorry, 4, 1 through 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom, speaking to Timothy now, preach the word... Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, in other words, correct. That word also means convict if someone's wrong. Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, with patience. Be very patient with people. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't listen to the truth anymore. They will not listen to the truth anymore. And I, may I just share with you an honest truth? There are a lot of people who have come to this church down through the years that would not stand still for truth. And of course, they made every other excuse in the world as to why they couldn't stay, but years later, you begin to see it because they couldn't stand still for truth. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears or telling them what they want to hear. Just tell me what I'd like to hear. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make, make full proof of thy ministry. 
Make full proof of thy ministry, Timothy. Endure, rebuke, exhort. Let me ask you something. How can I rebuke someone or how can I exhort someone if I have no authority? If you want to know what that feels like, be a school teacher today. Responsibility without authority. There's nothing more frustrating in the world. And you know that's what the baby boomers generation want to bring the church to. It's where the church simply gives them what they want, not what the Word of God says. I like what uh, uh, radio evangelist the other day said. Uh, he was talking about uh, Gabeline, uh, a, a great Bible teacher. He was speaking to him out in California one time, and he said, you know something I found out? He said, I, I found out if I preach on the book of Revelation, I can pack the church out. Everybody wants to know about how many hairs there are in the tail of the red horse in the book of Revelation. But he said, if I open the book of Romans and begin to talk about separation and death to self, I can empty the church. He says, people are more interested in the Antichrist than Christ. Why? Because it doesn't tickle their ears. It eats their hearts when they don't want to obey God's word. He says, the average person today, if he wants to build a large church, he has to tickle ears. He can't say, thus saith the Lord. It's black and white. I've had more people say to me, yeah, I used to go to that church over there, but that, that, that preacher's a hell and damnation preacher. <laughs> I thought he must be a pretty good man. He's not afraid of what men think. He says what the Word of God says. Oh, but that's condemnation. I come out of there feeling guilty. Why do you feel guilty? I feel condemned. I wonder why you feel... This is condemnation. The lights come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What you're saying is let me do what I want to do and you just say nice things to me. I want to tell you something. It isn't going to work. It's not going to wash in that day when we stand before God. You think it's fun to stand up here and teach things that I know are going to aggravate people's ears? The only way I can teach and rule in, in any body, in any, uh, any ministry, is by the Word of God. This is what the Word says. What will you do with it? You don't like this? Now, if I said something to offend you, please forgive me, but if the Word says it, you better turn around. If it's rubbing the fur the wrong way, turn around, cat. Because there's only one way, and that's God's way, by the Word of God. And the only way I can teach you and lead you is by establishing you in biblical principles. Talking with someone yesterday, I can't remember who it was, and they said, I was so frustrated. I talked to this couple, and they would say this, and I'd start to give an answer, and they'd say, but this over here, and here was another principle violated, and here's another principle violated, and here's another principle violated. It's just like you, there was no answer. Every time it's like the politics today, they'll pass a law that we hate, and then they'll pass 15 laws to put roadblocks in so you can't get to that law that they pass that you hate. And then they'll put 25 more in front of that and then pass another one that even deepens that law, and then they pass to put a whole bunch of blocks around it. That's what a lot of people are doing in their lives today with short-term decisions. And the answer, you look at them, why don't I just shoot you and let God straighten you out? You know, there is no other answer. You're too far gone. And that's what we're finding today in many of the churches. One person said, I didn't know what to do. Went to this one church, and the pastor has been married three times. Three times. And he's got people all around him that are married and divorced and married. And not only that, but this problem and that problem, the other problem. I said, what are you doing there? Well, I, I just, you know, I, I enjoy that. I said, what are you doing there? Read the scriptures. Find out what the qualifications are. If I'm to be a good shepherd, here are the things I must do. First of all, I'm to feed the flock. What am I to feed them? Wood, hay, and stubble? Sawdust? 
Sometimes I feel about some pastors about the Scottish man that said he was trying to raise cattle. And he said, you know, he said, I was saving money on the feed. He said, I kept mixing sawdust in with the, the feed. He said, I got it down to where I could put almost half sawdust and half feed in. It was working. I was still getting, all, getting my cattle fed. But he said, they up and died on me. And there are a lot of preachers today that are trying to cut down the meat of the word and can't understand why the cows are dying on them. Feed the flock. I must inspect the flock when I see sickness and disease. I have to go in and sometimes with severe surgery say that's got to be cut out. You can't go on with the Lord that way. And then it's my responsibility to protect you from Satan and worldliness and heresies. And there have been people that have been in the church and the pastor have come to them and said, look, I don't want that taught in this church. That's, that's not truth. That's error. Here's why it's error. Don't, don't say that to our people. Don't be passing that around in the church. Don't. Uh-uh. And then I find them going around and quietly passing it around and trying to raise up more opposition. I say, that's rebellion. Outright rebellion. And you know, it ought to be dealt with as such and understood as such. And I say to them, if you feel that's what the Word says, go find a church where they teach that. Why? Because I know what it will do eventually if the church goes in that direction. Thank God we were saved from some of the moves of God, so to speak, in the past. We were almost pulled into that submission group years ago, and the Spirit of God just said, no. And I, I thought, man, the excitement. Boy, the fellowship. Oh, the, I mean, it's just fantastic. And all, God, the Spirit, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to show me, this is not worshiping me. This is beginning to worship men. And I pulled out of it, and the churches that were in it today, most of them are in disasters. People got disillusioned and discouraged. Then they're supposed to love the sheep, show affection and tenderness. And by the way, affection and tenderness is involved with love, but so is firmness, tough love. No, I won't let you do that. There are times when, our, when we'd say to our children, others may, you may not. Well, why not? Because I said so. For your protection, I'm saying so. Now, will you obey? Will you submit and do what I ask you to do? And then I'm supposed to lead the flock. And that does not mean drive the flock. You drive cattle, but you lead sheep. By example. I am not the king. If I am called of God, and I'm here, I'm not the king. I'm not... See, like one wife said one time, my husband is the king, but I'm the prime minister. I'm not the king... I just know that if I'll feed you the Word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you'll submit to the authority of God's Word, it may make you miserable at first, but eventually it'll make you free. See, religion puts into people's heart, if I don't do this, oh boy, I'm fearful. If I don't do this, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. See, I've got to go, I've got to go to Mass. I've got to be sprinkled. I've got to do this all. That's fear. That's religion. That's religiosity. But knowing true Christianity is born out of love, and we don't do it out of fear. We do it because of our love for Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, the first chapter. First Thessalonians, the first chapter and the fifth verse. Paul the Apostle said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men you, we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of what? Followers of what? Of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy 
of the Holy Ghost. 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter. Verses 6 through 9. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother and sister that walketh disorderly, or is, is, is out of step and, and out of rank, and not after the traditions which he received of us. He said, who in the world are you to say that you're right and everybody else is wrong? Paul the Apostle said, teach it to faithful men who will teach faithful men who will teach faithful men to say the same thing that I said. And he says here, if you find someone walking disorderly or contrary to the tradition you've received of us, get away from them. Well, you talk about arrogance. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, imitate us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, Neither did we meet, eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power or the right or the authority, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So you don't attend church because you have to. You're afraid if you don't. If you come and fellowship in the body, first of all, you believe that, that you're following one who's been called of God into a, a ministry, an office ministry. And so you attend out of love. You get involved in the teaching and the work of the church out of love, not because you have to. You give to the Lord's work because you believe that's where God wants you to be. And you do it not out of fear, not out of necessity, because, but you believe this is what God would have you to do, and out of love you respond. And you work for the Lord in that ministry because that's where you want him to be. Now, in isms and in cults and in schisms, it's out of fear and there's a dictatorship type of thing where you have to do this or else. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest damages that's been done to this ministry down through the years, and I'm going to close with this this morning, and I want to go on and I've got some more things, that, some more requirements I want to tell you about a man of God. Some years ago, the word went out that there was controlling, a controlling spirit in this church. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because not only have you heard it, but it's even been coming back to you and some of you have tied into that little system and are still holding on to it. And I want to tell you something right now. First of all, that is rebellion or ignorance on your part because if I were in a church and I believed that there was a spirit of manipulation or control that was trying to bring me into bondage, you would not have to say anything to me. I would be out that door in a flash. So you have to find out the root of that lie that's gone out. Because many that have been here in the past, I see them on the street today and I can see in their eyes, you think you're going to control me, you're not going to control me, and I think, Lord, you know. I have no desire to control I have no desire to manipulate. Yes, I will exhort. Yes, I will rebuke. Yes, I will tell you, no, that's not acceptable. The Word of God says it differently. Don't do that. But I want to tell you something. Much destruction has been done in the body of Christ because there were those who spoke that lie, first of all, and then those that believed it. And I want to say to you right now, the only reason I will ever say anything to you is because I feel I have a responsibility before God to tell you as a shepherd what the Word says. And you have no responsibility to accept it whatsoever, but you do have to accept the responsibility for disobeying what the Word says. 
And if you're not at ease, if you want to go someplace where the pastor will always scratch your ear, tickle your ear, and say the nice things you want to say, you should find that kind of a church. But when you do, he says, when you turn away from that, you turn to lies. Because nowhere, when the prophet of God came into the town back in that day, people feared. When the apostles had the Holy Spirit come upon them, everybody pulled back. They were afraid that the power of God was on them. There is no fear of God to speak of it all in the church today anymore. I talked to some men this week. They said, yeah, we kicked that preacher out. We told him to get out. Another preacher came. We told him to get out too. And I thought, what a sad commentary. How many of you know that if you can hire a preacher, you can fire a preacher? How many of you know that if you can hire a preacher, he's not, it's not a calling? That's why I said a long time ago, I'm here because God put me here. You know, I said, what did I say to you this last, this last uh, spring? Looks like it's going to be very thin this summer. Only by the grace of God we're going to make it through the summer. But you know, that doesn't really bother me. I'm not being passive. I know that I'm here because God wants me to be here. Now, how many of you did I call on the phone or write a letter and say, I demand that you put some money in this offering this month? Anybody? How many of you got your arms twisted this, this summer to say you either do this or else you're in trouble? Anybody? My faith is in the Lord. And do you know something? We've come through the summer, and right now we have probably more money in our account right now than we had at the beginning of the summer, didn't we? Don't we, Ed? Awful close. We went all the way through the summer, paid our bills, and got extra money in the account. Praise God. You know what that confirms to me? Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm being obedient. And our people are being obedient. But let me tell you something. If you believe that God has called me to preach here, when you hear stories like that, you need to say to those people, you better be careful. You're making an accusation against the servant of God, and someday you'll answer to God for that. You neither have witnesses or anything else. You know, the interesting thing is, they don't come to, to the people who are responsible. They should come to Ed and Skip and say that. Make an accusation. Two or three witnesses. What do they do? They carry a bad report, evil report, everywhere they go. Oh, they do it in a spiritual way. You know, bless God. We really are concerned. We're really praying about this situation. It's rebellion, and it's a Jezebel spirit. By the grace of God, we want that purged from this body. We want to go on with God. We want to see God do some wonderful things in this body. And we don't need that in the church. The question is, if God's called me here and I know it, I want you to know it. And if you don't believe that, and you don't believe you can follow me as I try to walk with the Lord, and I'm going to make mistakes as I try to walk with the Lord, then for God's sake and your sake and your family's sake, find someone who you can follow. You know, it sounds like I'm trying to sell out and get rid of you. No! I want you to be where God wants you to be. You will never be happy if you're not where God wants you to be. Now, I know that you can go home and have Rose Preacher because if you knew as much about me as I know about me, you'd never quit talking about me because I know I miss it all the time. But I know also that God called me, and I told him at the very beginning, I'm going to mess up, God, if you don't help me. And he's tried to help me all these years. 
as much as I'd allow him to help me. And you know something? I, I want to say this right on the tape and, and thank God for the leadership he's given me to walk with me. I don't care what you say about anyone else, but don't you talk against Ed and Skip to me and their families. <laughs> no, they're not perfect either. If they're perfect, I'd really feel insecure. <laughs> but we all miss it, but we all come together and we love each other, and God has given me faithful, faithful men. I thank God for them. And, and, and let me tell you something, there are lots of times when they would gladly walk away. There have been times on the way home I've said to people, I hope I don't meet anyone with a nickel today. I'd sell out. Why? There's easier things to do. What did the prophet say? Oh, God, I'm the only one left. Everyone else is forsaken. He's all dried up. There's 7,000 7, others that haven't bowed their knee to Baal around here. You're not the only cat going on the walk. We feel sorry for ourselves a lot of times, but I want to tell you something. You've got to go back and say, am I called of God? Yes. Then I can expect God to show me exactly what's supposed to be done day by day. And I want to thank God for your faithfulness this past summer. Now I believe God wants us to pray more and to reach out and begin to touch other families. Now, by the way, there must be an awful lot of people going to get invited out for lunch today because I, I don't know as much as that's been done this month, and this is, what, the last month of the year, of the, uh, the last week of the month? So, uh, and then get ready for September when one Sunday, one time, invite another family out and have fellowship, either coffee or whatever. Just invite them to your home. Now, you see, what we're doing, we're trying to be an example of the believers. Tonight, we're inviting everybody. <laughs> see? That's an example of the believers right there. And uh, I love you. I really love you and thank God for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you've given in your word directions and instructions as to what we are supposed to be as believers, as servants. It really doesn't make any difference what we think. It's what your word says. And when the word we stand before the throne in that last day. You said that's what we're going to be judged by. And I pray that we'll not try to make excuses or turn away ears away from hearing truth, but rather we'll submit to the authority of your word, knowing that we'll know the truth and it'll make us free. We want to be free, Father. Help us to be free. Minister this truth to our hearts today, Father, and I pray that somehow, some way, that crown of glory will be available for this servant. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. God bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 o'clock. The third chapter. I'm not going to preach really long tonight. If you weren't here this morning, you missed the long one. I was told I preached over 45 minutes this morning. I have scriptural grounds for that. Paul the Apostle preached all night until the fellow fell out of the window and died. Rose him from the, raised him from the dead the next morning, so... Until I pass that, why, well, I guess I'm still in the realm of being an apostle. So, uh, First Timothy, the third chapter. We're talking about when the Christian's books are audited. And I've been on this message for some weeks now. 
And uh, we've been talking about the rewards of the believer. We know that there's going to come the judgment seat of Christ where we do not inherit a crown. You cannot inherit a crown. You have to earn a crown. And the rewards that the Lord has promised to the believers, Paul speaks of one after another after another. These James speaks concerning these. The crowns that the Lord has provided for those who are willing to pay the price. I believe it's possible to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, have very little reward whatsoever, but I don't think there's going to be much rejoicing over that. In fact, the scripture says that we are to give ourselves totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to take up your cross daily, doing the will of God daily and following Christ, he said you're not worthy to be my disciple. He said, whosoever he be of you is not willing to forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now that does not sound to me like an easy sit under the palm tree, put your, water, your, your bait in the water, and wait until Jesus comes. Paul the Apostle said it's a warfare, put on the whole armor of God, that we're to put off the old man, put on the new man, we're to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. All these things are important, and he's not saying that. I mean, if, if it's all sealed and settled when we get saved, then we've got a real problem. All these scriptures are being wasted on us. They're there because it tells us once we come to Christ, this will be the evidence that we've come to him. He that says he loves me and does not keep my commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we've been talking about the different crowns, and this morning we've talked about the crown of glory, and uh, that it's going to be for those who are faithful ministers. The crown of glory is for those who are faithful ministers, servants of Jesus Christ, having been called into the ministry. Now the others, crowns, anyone's that's available to anyone, but these, the crown of glory is for those that have been called into the ministry. And we talked about what constitutes a faithful minister. And I want to tell you, we're living in a day and age when ministers are being... Well, many of it's their own fault in many cases. There are many today that have caused shame to come upon the office of Christ. But let me tell you something. That is the work of the enemy. How can you destroy an organization by finding someone that you can pick on that has not lived up to what, was quali what the qualifications are and use that as a model to flog a the straw man to death? And there have been some who have, and by the way, the Word of God tells us very clearly that they're going to be here in the last days. Those who are not true true men of God, not truly called of the Lord. There's going to be false prophets. But uh, what constitutes a faithful minister? I said this morning, first of all, you have to realize that he's a man. He's not supernatural. He's not an angel. If God calls someone, he puts on his pants just like you do every morning and uh, has the same affections, same needs, same desires, has to pay his bills every month like you do, has to mow his lawn every once in a while or get somebody to do it. He has to uh, sharpen his saw blades. He has to sharpen his uh, mower blades. He has to do all the things that anyone else does. But at the same time, he's consciously aware of the call of God on his life. And I've said this before, and I'll say it to you again. It's one thing to have an itch to preach, but it's another thing to have the call of God in your life. And I tell young men, if you can do anything else but preach the gospel, do it. Now, I'll say that because if you're genuinely called of God to preach, you'll be absolutely miserable if you do anything else. One of the prophets in the Old Testament said, I determined I was just going to shut my mouth and not say another thing. And he said, it was like a fire in my bones. My bones just began to melt like wax. I just couldn't stand. Finally, I had to just let it go again. Now, that's the call of God. And there was a time in my life when I said, God, you can have the whole mess. I have had it clear up to here. Find something else. I can go out and sell. I can witness on the streets. But, Lord, I've had it with this. And so I just determined I just didn't want to preach anymore. And inside I was just 
eaten up inside. I couldn't stand it. I finally went to an evangelistic uh, conference up in Minneapolis, Billy Graham uh, Evangelism Conference. And afterwards, he said, all the evangelists that are here tonight, we want you to meet over in the side room. And I walked over there. I was walking around. I thought, here, I call myself an evangelist, and I don't want to preach anymore. And God, I don't understand what's going on. And I remember as I sat down in the seat in that room, all of a sudden, all the hurt and all the heartache and all the disappointment and all the heartbreak began to just pour on me. I began to sob and sob, and I could hardly breathe. And I sobbed there for almost an hour. And I, I thought for sure I was going to suffocate. And finally, all of it came out. And I said, God, I am so sorry. It doesn't make any difference what men do or what men say or what men think. I know one thing for sure. I'm called of you to preach, and I will preach the gospel. So a man, first of all, he's just a man, but secondly, he's a called man. Paul the Apostle said, called to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle said, don't give me any credit for this. He said, man, I didn't want to do this. God dragged me into the ministry. I had my heel marks on the ground all the way as it dragged me into the ministry. The third thing I said, uh, I mean, the, I said he's a man, he's a called man, he's a responsible man. And by the way, let's go back to that called man. 2 Corinthians 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians 11th chapter. Second Corinthians 11. Paul excuses his self-boasting here. He's boasting because some other men had come in and been trying to preach the God, preach a message, but they were ridiculing Paul and saying Paul was, did not have power and authority. Would to God ye should, could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which we, ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul says, you seem so gullible that I'm really concerned about you. Somebody else is going to come along and they're going to present another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit to you, and you're going to accept it. I want to tell you something. You listening to me? Many of our churches today are preaching another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. Gospel of prosperity, the gospel of, gospel of dominion, the gospel of blessing, peace. Uh, you, don't, you don't rebuke anyone. You don't, you don't come against anyone. You just, you just love everybody into the kingdom of God. Just sloppy agape. Oh, you don't try to tell anyone what the, what's there. I mean, you don't bring them into guilt or condemnation. You just make them feel good. I tell you, that's another, that's another spirit. That's another gospel. That's another Jesus. You read these letters that Paul wrote to the church, and you'll find out the majority of them was, hey, get your act together. Straighten your life out. It wasn't here, let me scratch your back behind your ear and make you feel good and pat your back and make you feel really nice. Well, you're in a warfare. You know the sergeant doesn't get up and say, now, is Johnson here this morning? No, Johnson slept in because he's out late night. Well, you give my best regards. Don't you worry about it. I understand what it's like to be out all night. That's what our church is like today. Well, I understand. Sure, if you want to go out of town, look, sure. Don't worry about it. Just, uh, just come when you can. Yeah. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle. Paul says, 
I'm not up for the rest of the apostles. I'm not behind in them at all. In fact, he said, when I finally met the disciples, I had already been in the desert for three years, and they didn't add a thing to me. In fact, I added some things to them. God gave me revelation that he didn't give to them when I was out in the desert. Then uh, down in the, the 15th, 13th to 15th verses. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great deal if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Then chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Examine yourselves. Adokamos, it means evaluate yourself, test yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves, test yourselves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates or counterfeits? If you don't have Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you're a counterfeit, Paul said. I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates or counterfeits, disapproved on trial and rejected. I hope you know that that's not what we are. Let me tell you something, there are going to be many in that day that are going to be tested and rejected because they have not fulfilled what Jesus said was a genuine uh, follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, he's a, a man, but he's a called man, a responsible man, and tonight I want to go on quickly now. He's a family man. A family man. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Now, if you want to get back to that. <clears throat> I want to read to you verses 1 through 7 in the King James Version, then we'll read it out of the Living Bible. I, I've pointed out, and you probably find more things, but I have pointed out 14 things that the Word of God says concerning uh, one who is called to be a minister of the Gospel. Now, it's very important that you understand this. I'm not just doing this for my benefit. I'm doing it for your benefit, because if ever the time comes that you need to find where God wants you as a in a church, I want you to know that God does not tell you to find out if they've got good chandeliers or a nice big narthex or a youth program or a big sanctuary or they've got a good choir. He says you have to find out who the shepherd is and examine that shepherd's life before you follow him. Because I will assure you whatever that shepherd does, if he does things contrary to the word of God, that same spirit that's in him will eventually get into your family and it'll show up in your children and your children's children. That's why the Apostle Paul says there's only one way you should follow me. You follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if I, as the Apostle Paul, do not follow Christ according to what the Word of God says, quit following me. Oh, but they have such a wonderful musical program. I mean, there's so much excitement in the church. That is not, you know, nowhere does the Word of God say that's the choice. That's the way you choose the church. It's by the quality of, and life of the person that's in leadership. God calls a man and he sets down requirements. If he sets down requirements for that man, then you and I need to look for those requirements when we find out who we're going to follow. Are you with me? You see, I'm exposing myself here. I'm telling you, check me out. Do I make mistakes? All the time. I'm human. But there are requirements that God places here that we need to be able to examine when we think about going to a church. I have people calling me and writing me every week. I'm in this church, and I just read your book, and uh, we've got the, the pastor that's divorced and remarried. We've got a lot of deacons that are divorced and remarried. We've got people that are in their third and fourth marriages that are teaching Sunday school, and, and they're telling us we need to do that and the other thing. And what are we going to do? I said, find yourself a shepherd. Well, there are none around here. I said, you cry out to your chief shepherd and tell him you need a shepherd, and you go wherever you have to do to get one. 
Well, you, have, you know, they, they don't want to stay where they are, but they don't want to pay the price, whatever it takes to get where they need to be. 